So last night in my family, in our home, we had a team meeting. You ever have those where you call everybody together and talk about something really important? My dad used to call it a team meeting. Dad, I don't know if you're watching, but uh, down in Louisiana, but if you are, hi. Uh, We had a team meeting last night. And uh, we only call team meetings when something really important is about to happen in the household, right? Because you got to get everybody on the same page. You got to understand what it is that's happening. You got to make sure that we know we're in this together. And so we had a team meeting. Some of you know that we recently moved into a new home and we're so, so grateful for that. A lot of you have asked about that and how's it going. It's fantastic. We're so grateful for this place. Uh, It has a little bit more space than the place that we had before. And so we have room to have people over and to uh, just offer hospitality and to just enjoy being together and, and, and to be a part of the neighborhood and the community. And we're so grateful for it. One of the other things that this place has is a little bit bigger yard. And so, well, it has a yard. My old place didn't have a yard. Uh, it was like straight off the back of the mountain uh, into the, the football field, as it were. Um, this place has a yard and it's a big yard. It's a beautiful yard. We're really, really, really grateful for it. So we are preparing in our, uh, in our family right now to receive some new guests into our home. And so we had to have a team meeting. With this big yard, with this extra space, we have decided uh, to have chickens. We have decided to welcome six new chickens into our home. So we spent the last couple weeks getting the chicken coop ready, preparing a place for them, and, uh, and getting ready to receive these chickens so that we can have fresh eggs and all the wonderful benefits of, of live chickens, including teaching our kids responsibility and how to care for things, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so we're really excited. We're, we're preparing a space for the chickens. But we had to have a team meeting first. Because here's what happens. And my wife, <laughs> my wife just crossed her arms and gave me this, this look. Here's what happens in our home. Uh, we, have a, we have a dog and we have two cats, and I am the primary caretaker for those animals. And so I had a hunch, and, and actually this was confirmed by uh, Anne, our middle daughter, uh, our, our middle child, our, our, our eight-year-old daughter. When we were talking about the possibility of chickens, we had a team meeting then too. This was a couple weeks ago. And we thought, hey, what's going to happen if we decide to have chickens? How's it going to go? And Anne says, well, Daddy, I don't know if it's really fair to have chickens because I don't know if you're really excited about them. And I know that you're going to be the one that has to take care of them. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, you're right, Anne. That is a very good point. But we talked about it and we decided that we were all going to help out. And so last night we had a team meeting on the, on the eve of, of being ready to, to receive these chickens into our house. We had a team meeting and we decided that we were going to sign a covenant. And here is the covenant. We will all help with the chickens. We will all help with the chickens. Now, we're going to read about covenants in Scripture, but you know when, when, when there's a covenant in Scripture, it's seen by God and everybody. And you all are witnesses this day to this covenant that was signed last night at our house at the team meeting. We will all help with this. It's, all, it's signed by everybody. You can see Mommy and, and Daddy and Ann and even James put his signature there and Emma. We will all help with the chicken. So now you all know that uh, we, we discussed the covenant. We discussed the importance of having a covenant, of being on the same page, uh, of signing our names to this document saying we will all help. And we talked about what will happen if this covenant is broken. And all I'm going to say is chicken dinner. 
if the covenant is broken, we might be having chicken for a little while. Now, I don't, I don't know. Anne actually is the animal lover in our house. And she said, Dad, can you just, can you like give us a warning before we reach that step? Can you like tell us like, hey, we're, we've broken the covenant. You know what that means. And then give us a chance to like follow through and, and maintain the covenant. So yes, I, I will give, I'm not that heartless. Like we'll, we'll have a discussion. We'll have several team meetings about it, I'm sure. Well, we're excited for this. We're excited to, to all be on the same page to help with the chickens. And we're going to talk this morning about what it means to be in covenant together. And so I invite you to hear these words. We're going to start in Jeremiah. And I'm going to go to a couple of different places. We're going to look at a couple of different covenants in Scripture this morning and talk about what it means to be, to be in covenant together with one another and with the God of the universe. So we'll start in Jeremiah chapter 31, starting at verse 31. Hear this word. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So this was the covenant that God promised. This this was the new covenant that God promised was coming to God's people. And there are a, there's a series of covenants throughout Scripture. Um, there are covenants with, with Adam and Eve and with Noah and with David. Uh, we're going to back up to, uh, to here a little bit before we get to Jeremiah. We're going to talk about some of the other covenants that God makes with God's people. Uh, the, for one of the first sort of major ones that we see is the covenant that God makes with Abraham. And this is from Genesis 15. I invite you to go back and, and read it sometime this week because it's an interesting one. The covenant that God makes with Abraham in Genesis 15 is basically promising Abraham that I am going to lead you. First of all, you are going to be a father of many nations, he says in Genesis 12. And then we get to 15 and he says that I'm going to bless the world through you and you will inherit essentially the promised land. Okay, so God makes this covenant, very important covenant in the life of God's people with Abraham, uh, the father of our faith tradition. And the way that God goes about it is very interesting. The, the way of covenant making in the Old Testament, the, the, God didn't exactly sit down with a piece of paper and have everybody sign it. But instead, what happened was God instructed Abraham to make this covenant. And, and, and the, the phrase make a covenant in the Hebrew language it literally means cut a covenant. And, and, and we see this played out because God had Abraham take some animals and literally cut them in two and place them side by side to each other all together. And, and what would happen is that when, we were, when you were making the covenant, you would walk and, and pass through those split apart animals. So you were, you were cutting a covenant saying, this is the thing we're agreeing to. And should we not agree to it, may this 
cutting in half. May this happen to us if we fail to live up to the covenant that we have promised with each other. And, and so in, in Genesis, that's a little weird, right? I, don't worry, we're not going to cut any animals and have, we just signed the paper. We're, we're good with that at our house. It's a little strange, right? To, to cut animals and have to walk. And, but the thing that's really interesting about that covenant is that rather than Abraham walking through it, there was a pot of fire and, and, and Abraham fell asleep and saw this pot of fire representing the Lord passing through those animals. And so God was saying, this is how serious I am about giving you and your descendants, your descendants really, the promised land, that I myself will pass through what has been cut in order that you might inherit it. And so you can hold me to my word, God says. Because of this covenant, I will give you the promised land. And so think about all that Abraham went through to get to the point where that covenant was, was to be fulfilled. All the things that Abraham had to do in order for, to see God's faithfulness through that. Remember in, in Genesis chapter 12, he's asked to pick up all of his things and, and move to a, to a new land, to a new place that God was going to show you. That's all he gave. He said, get up and go to a place I'm going to show you. And Abraham went. And God promised, I, look at the stars. I'm going to give you as many descendants as the stars in the sky or the sea in the sand if you can even Count that high. Do you remember how old Abraham was at the time that God made that promise? Abraham was 75 years old. He didn't have any children. Can you imagine being 75 years old and being told you're going to have as many kids as the stars in the sky? Oh my goodness. And then what happened? Abraham picked up, went to the place where God showed him. It was 25 years before Isaac was born. Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. Think about what all of Abraham must have have considered as he was waiting and waiting for God to fulfill the promise of that covenant, to keep the promise of that covenant, to, to, to give Abraham his own son, his own descendant, in order that that covenant might be fulfilled one day. I wonder if you have ever heard a word from the Lord. I wonder if you have ever felt like God revealed something to you about the course of your life or, or about the, the future, the plans that God has for you. I wonder if you've ever had a, a kind of a, just a, a knowing in your spirit that, hey, I sense that this is something that God might have for me. I wonder if you've ever felt that. I know I have. And I wonder if you've ever experienced having that feeling, but then nothing happens. And you wait, and you wait. And the only thing that you can cling to is that thing that you think you thought you might have maybe possibly heard God say. Have you ever been there? I wonder if Abraham was in that place when he was told you're going to be the father of, uh, of many, many descendants, more than you can count the stars of the sky. And he still had to wait 25 years. And, and, and in the midst of that, and, and he finally gets Isaac, right? And, and what happens? God asks him to, to sacrifice Isaac. And that's another story for another day in Genesis 22, but I, I read that one too. And imagine what that must have felt like. 
for Abraham to finally feel like, hey, the promise is being fulfilled. The covenant is happening. And then God says, I want you to, to sacrifice your only son. And the way that Abraham responded was the same way that he responded when God said, go to this place I'll show you. Abraham said, oh, uh, okay. And he took a step and he clung to the promise that God had given him because he trusted that God was faithful to keep the covenant that God had promised. And so I wonder if you have ever felt like God has maybe encouraged you or given you a vision for the future or told you in some way, shape, or form that there's something more out there. I wonder if you're still waiting for that more to be realized. If so, you are in good biblical company. And hold on to that promise because God keeps God's promises. I want to fast forward a little bit to the book of Exodus. We're going to fast forward to Exodus chapter 24. This is the, sort of the, the next big major covenant in the Hebrew scriptures. It's the covenant at Sinai. It's the covenant that God gives to Moses after they have been delivered from Egypt, after they have been slaves in Egypt and God delivered them and led them out of Egypt and, and, and they're in the wilderness and they're wandering and they're wondering what is next because God, you promised you were going to save us. You promised Abraham 400 years ago. You promised Abraham that we were going to have our own land and our own space. You made a covenant and, and, and where is that, God. God then gives, leads, leads the Israelites out of Egypt. We know that. And, and God leads them into the wilderness and they wander as they're being formed into God's people, as they're being formed to trust God's faithfulness, to trust that the word that God gives will come to pass. And so God lays out the Ten Commandments. Remember Exodus chapter 20. God lays out, here's some things that you need to know about how to live as my people. And if you follow these things, you will live in the way that leads to life and not death. You will be my people. And we read this in Exodus 24. This is Exodus 24, verse 4. Moses then wrote down everything that the Lord had said, and he got up early and he built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 pillars, representing pillars of stones, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And then he, he, he told the young men to come forward, and he, and he made burnt offerings and, and sacrificed young bulls, just like the covenant we had seen. Moses took half of the, this is, it's a little weird. Moses took half of the blood from the sacrifice uh, and put it, from the sacrifice of the animals, put it in bowls, and the other half he splashed against the altar. And then he took the book of the covenant, this law, this, this, the Ten Commandments and all the things that went with how to be God's people. He took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. And they responded, we will do everything that the Lord has said. We will obey We'll do everything that the Lord has said. We will obey. And Moses then took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. And so we see a new covenant, the covenant at Sinai where God promised them, hey, if you live by these things, these commandments, these these words about life, you will experience life to the fullest. And Moses knew that it was so important, even though they said, they said, we will listen to, we will do everything the Lord has said, we will obey, just like Abraham did. Moses knew that it was going to be hard to do that. And so he instructed that every seven years, they would read from that book of the covenant. It was the thing that was carried around in the ark as they wandered in the wilderness, right? Moses instructed them to read every seven years from that law 
so that they would remember who they were as God's people, so that they would remember how to live in the best possible way that leads to life. The Sinai Covenant is the, is the basis for who God's people are to be in the world. And, and he tells them, don't forget. Don't forget. But he knows that they're people. And so he reminds them. And, and he says this, we go on to, we read in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, perhaps one of the most important passages in all of the Hebrew scriptures. We read in Deuteronomy chapter 6 this. Moses says, these are the commands that you're supposed to remember to observe when you cross the Jordan to possess the land that I've given you. He says, tell your children and your children's children so that you may remember the Lord and fear him as long as you live. And he says this in, in, in verse five, love the Lord your, uh, first, verse four, this is the most important verse in all of Hebrew scriptures for, for Hebrew people at that time. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And God says this, to these commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them to your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord, your God, brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to you, a land with large, flourishing cities you didn't build. Houses filled with all kinds of good things that you did not provide. Wells that you did not dig and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Then, when you eat and are satisfied, this is the key, this is the remember part. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. So again, Moses collected these commandments, these, these, these instructions for how to live, created them, kept them in the covenant, uh, in the Ark of the Covenant, read them to the people every seven years, reminded them to remember the Lord our God is one, and God is the one who brought us out. God is the one who made the covenant to save us. Remember this land is a gift from God. It's a fulfillment of a promise made to Abraham way, way back. And God keeps God's promises. Last night, as I was kind of going over the, the, the last parts of the sermon, trying to get everything together, I heard the kids playing in the other room, and uh, they, they kind of, the voices were getting louder and, and a little more animated, and I was like, what in the world is going on? And then all of a sudden, I, I heard Anne, I heard Anne, uh, Anne's getting a lot of playtime in the sermon, and uh, I heard Anne say, all of a sudden, she goes, you can't make somebody listen to you. You can't make somebody listen to you. And I don't even know what it was all about, but she was, try, she was trying to explain that they couldn't make her do what she said, whatever it was. You can't make somebody listen to you. I think Moses knew that. <laughs> I think God knew that as well. When God made the covenant and, and God instructed them to read it every seven years, you can't make someone listen. You can try, <laughs> but you can't make someone listen to you. And so that's how we end up where we are in Jeremiah chapter 31, right? God had led God's people out. God had promised to give them the promised land. God had led them to the promised land. God had formed them beforehand in this process of, of, of forming and leading and growing to, to, to learn to, to obey God's commandments, to listen and to obey, just like Abraham had done, just like Moses had done when God told Moses to go and say to Pharaoh, set my people free. God had formed his people 
to be a part of this covenant relationship where God would be with them. But then you can't make somebody listen to you. And so the people, as we know, as all people, as all of us are prone to do, wandered from that covenant. They broke the covenant that God had made with them. They broke their part of the covenant anyway to follow and to listen and to obey what was in the Ark of the Covenant, the the Book of the Covenant. And so they found themselves foreigners, exiled after Babylon, after the Babylonians took over and destroyed Jerusalem and and led them into exile. They were living in a foreign land with with, with foreign gods around them that that they didn't understand and they, they were wondering what happened to the promises that God made that we would be God's people. Are we still God's people? Is God still with us? That's part of the question that the prophet Jeremiah addresses in his book. And this section of Jeremiah, in these chapters around Jeremiah chapter 31, is sometimes called the book of consolation. Because we read that, yes, in fact, you are still God's people. Jeremiah 31, 31, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant with you. This is the only place in the Old Testament where the word new covenant appears. In Jeremiah 31, the days are coming, says the Lord, where I'll make a new covenant with you. Not like the one that I made with your ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Notice just the relational story going on there, right? God took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. This is not going to be like that covenant because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. So again, this language of deep commitment and relationship. God promises, I am with you and we are doing this together. And yet the Israelites forgot that and they chased after other things and put other things before God and worshiped those instead. God says no more. Verse 33, he says, I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. So remember before they were encouraged to just repeat those passages to remember them so that they wouldn't forget. God says, no, no, I'm going to, there will be a day, declares the Lord, where I will put my law in their minds, I will write it on their hearts so they won't, have to, they won't have to teach one another. Hey, remember that time when we were slaves in Egypt? Remember that time when God promised? No, they will know God. I will be their God and they will be my people. He says, no longer will they teach know the Lord because they will all know me from the least to the greatest that means this, this promise is for everyone. It doesn't have to do with your status or your social standing in life or, or who you are or what you've done. This new covenant, this new promise of how God will be with God's people is for everyone, no matter what. From the least to the greatest. And God says, I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Remember, the Sinai covenant was up to them to keep, 
right? It was up to them to, to remember those laws and to recite them and to follow them and to live into them. And they couldn't do it because their hearts eventually became hardened. Now God says, I will give you a new heart and I will write on it. It won't be hearts of stone. It won't be tablets of stone. It will be me in you. That's what the new covenant will look like. And I will, I, I will put my law in your minds. I'll write it on your hearts. I will forget your wickedness and remember your sins no more. There is nothing that you can do, God promises. There is nothing you can do to make me love you any less. There is nothing you can do to, to, to not have this covenant fulfilled where you will all know the Lord. And, and knowing here is, is, a, is, a, is an expression of, of deep relationship, a deep understanding, just like the, the heart in, in Scripture when it talks about the heart and, and love the Lord your God with all your heart, it's not talking about the organ that pumps the blood throughout our bodies. It's, it's not actually referring to that. Your heart is like the center of your being. It's like the, the source of all of, of who you are. It's, it's your, your, your soul, your, your understanding. It's, it's your gut, you ever have a gut instinct? You just, I don't know, I just, my, I just, my gut instinct was to do this. That's what scripture means by your heart. And God promises in Jeremiah 31, I will write on your hearts so that you will know me. In our gut, we have the capacity to know who God is. And the promises that God has made to us to be with us always, no matter what the external circumstances look like. God is with us always. The time is coming, declares the Lord. So naturally, the question is, well, has the time come? Did we get there yet? Hebrew scholars are, are, are not of the same mind about that. Some believe, yes, we got there. Because remember, this promise was made to God's people about Israel, about the, after the promised land, that they would again be able to, this was, a, this was a promise made to them when they were in exile. God promised, you will have a land again. And so some believe that, yes, that was fulfilled in, in 1948 when Israel became a nation state again. Uh, that promise was fulfilled. But if you think about it, that, that's, that, that's a little bit hard to justify if you, if you think about the way that God talks about this promise. They will know in their hearts <laughs> that I am the Lord. They, there, there's, there's, there's an idea that they will come back and, and uh, things will be great, like, like Zion, right? Like you will return to the city and, and everyone will know that I am the Lord and I will be with you. There's ways that it just feels like maybe that hasn't quite been fulfilled yet. So there's some debate about whether that happened or not. Some say we're still waiting, but I can tell you this. God always keeps God's promises. God always keeps God's promises. And so if we continue reading through Scripture and we get to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, Hebrews 9 actually lists, actually Hebrews 8 lists this exact passage that we read from Jeremiah. Word for word. It's the longest quote of the Old Testament in the New Testament the longest continuous quote from the Old Testament in the New Testament. Answering that question, was this promise that God made, this covenant that God said there will be a time, was this 
fulfilled. Hebrews chapter 8 quotes that, that section of scripture from the Old Testament and then goes on in chapter 9 to say this. Chapter 9 of Hebrews verse 15 says, for this reason Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from their sins that they committed under the first covenant. And so we see the writer of Hebrews says, yes, <laughs> that promise that God would be our God and that we would be, have in our hearts the capacity to know and to, to understand that God is with us, that has been written on our hearts and that has been fulfilled in Christ through his death and resurrection and the gift of the Holy Spirit that now lives and breathes and animates our being. That promise of God to know that I am with you has been fulfilled in Christ. Because if you look back at those covenants, right, all of the covenants in in Scripture that we've looked at so far, the one with Abraham, where God says, go, and I'll bless the world through you. Go, and I will make a great nation from your descendants. Abraham went because Abraham knew that God was with him. And Moses was, said, was told to go, go to Pharaoh, the most powerful person in all the world, and say, let my people go. And Moses protested. He was like, eh, I don't know if I'm the right person. God says, I am with you. In Jeremiah, we know that they, they had been exiled, and God reminds them, hey, I am still with you. So God makes covenants too. God's covenant says, I am with you. And God signed it in everything right at the top. I am. I am with you. Friends, I want to encourage you this morning that wherever you find yourself, whatever circumstances you are are going through in life right now, and wow, have we been through a lot in the last year, I want to remind you of God's covenant promise that I am with you always. God sees you. God has written on your heart the capacity to know God on a deep, experiential, gut level. And if you haven't felt what that feels like, if you don't know what it's like to know that you know that you know that God is with you in your heart. I want you to be reminded of that this morning. And and if you want to know more about what that looks like, come and talk to me or any of the pastors because we would love to, to help you understand that covenant that God makes with each and every one of us that because of Jesus and his death and resurrection, God is with us in our hearts always, no matter what we are facing. I am with you. And as we look through those stories of those other covenants, the only thing that God, God promises to be with us always, but it requires a response on our part as well, to know and to trust that promise and to accept it and to live into it. Abraham, Moses, David, Jeremiah, even Jesus. 
had to trust God's word, that God would be with him through all that he experienced and that God would bring him through to the other side, even through death in the case of Jesus. And they all had to respond. They all had to say yes. I accept. I go with you. I believe that. I trust that that thing that you wrote in my heart is true. And God invites the same response from us today. God always initiates the covenant. God always gives the promises. God fulfills the promises. But we respond in faith. And so I want to invite you to take a step in response this morning to the covenant that God has made with us and has ratified and fulfilled through Jesus and his work on the cross. I want to invite you to respond in prayer. And this is a dangerous prayer. I'm just going to put that out there, as many prayers often are. I'm going to invite you to respond with the Wesley Covenant prayer. This is something that we traditionally pray around the first of the year to kind of set our hearts in the right place for the year. It's a prayer just like Abraham, just like Moses, just like Jeremiah. It's a prayer of obedience. It's a prayer of of letting go of whatever we think we need to do with our lives. Letting go of that and trusting that the God who created the covenant, the God who created us, the God who wrote on our hearts, his love will be faithful to fulfill that promise that God is with us. So I want to invite you to read this prayer with me, knowing that this is our response to God's invitation to accept God being with us no matter what. Um, I love this prayer. We're going to pray it together, and I actually have have copies of it for you in the back on these little cards. Uh, They're on the back table there as you walk out. Feel free to grab one and bring them with you. We did this several years ago and had these cards made, and we prayed them at the beginning of the year. And uh, we we celebrated John Thomas' life last week. Uh, John Thomas, a great faithful saint of Boone UMC and of Jesus. Um, he, when we had these printed out, John said, hey, could I, could I get some of those? And John came back a couple weeks later and he told me, hey, I, I've been praying this prayer every day when I wake up. And not only that, I've been passing these cards out to everyone that I meet, that they might pray this prayer as well, that they might be able to step into the promise that, uh, that God is with us no matter what, and that God will direct our lives and God is in our hearts. And so, I want us to pray this prayer today as we close. And so the words will be on the screen. If you dare, I invite you to pray it with me. Let us pray. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Place me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be put to work for you or set aside for you, praised for you, or criticized for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and fully surrender all things to your glory and service. And now, a wonderful and holy God, creator, redeemer, and sustainer, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it also be made in heaven. Amen. Friends, I hope that you will grab one of these cards on your way out. I hope that you will pray this prayer every day to remind yourself of the covenant that God has made with us, that God will never break no matter what we do, to know that God has written God's love in our hearts and in our minds. 
and that we are never far from God and that God is with us always. And may that propel you to a deep faith, an unswerving faith to the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Amen.